Good morning, everybody. It's very good to see all of you here. Uh, We do miss those who are not with us today, who normally are. Uh, But it's good to see everybody who is here today. We're going to be studying the book of Proverbs today. Uh, We'll give a small introduction to the book, and then we're especially going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 4, making sure that we recognize the wisdom of God, that we understand it, and that we would ultimately love it and not love the wisdom of this age, although we would certainly enjoy the things that God has given us. Let's start off with another prayer today. Well, we are grateful for this day of worship and rest. We're grateful for this this one hour or so of worship today, Lord. We love you, and we thank you that we are not at all alone in loving you. Although there are many times throughout the week where we do feel alone, where we call out to you. Lord, I thank you for this taste of heaven that we get right now. Where we're not worried about our phones, we're not worried about the gas in our cars, we're not worried about our bank accounts, Lord. We want to trust you with it. But we want to praise you, we want to focus on who you are today. And so thank you that for this hour, Lord, as a family, we get to worship you. And we pray that that you would truly grant us wisdom in all that we do for your glory and that we would enjoy what you have given us. In your name we pray. Amen. At the Widow's Harvest Mission Trip recently that many of you were on, we studied the book of James. It's not just a book, it's God's Word. Uh, And it was very enjoyable. The book starts out by saying, if you lack wisdom, what should you do? Ask God for it. Right? It's just a command. If you lack that wisdom, ask God for it. He'll give it to you. It's a good deal. And why should we ask for that wisdom? Well, what's he start the book out with? If you have a trial, you should count it as pure... Oh my, you're going to need some wisdom for that. Because that's not my first reaction ever. Okay? And so why do you need wisdom? Because we have to navigate this difficult world. And you need God's wisdom, not just to navigate it, but to respond to the conviction of the Spirit of God through His Word with joy. Well, we could just stop right there today and be like, all right, let's meditate on that. Let's just pray the whole day for wisdom. But we do have God's Word in front of us, so let's, let's read it. Let's gain that wisdom. Let's see what He says. Let's be desperate to help each other out as we each depend on the Spirit to have the wisdom to count it joy when trials come to our lives. Of course, we ask God for wisdom because we've been humbled. We recognize that He is God, that I am not. And we would be foolish, certainly, not to ask for wisdom. We all need wisdom. When it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's, that's just being kind for saying you all lack wisdom. So whatever you hear today, I pray that you would hear this first and foremost, is to pray for wisdom. You can learn about wisdom today. You can hear it. Yes, submit yourself to God's word. As husband and wife are sitting right next to each other, equally submitting to God's word. Yes, husbands, you are called to lead. Women are called to follow. Wives are called to follow. But right now, you're right next to each other. 
and the ground at the foot of the cross is equal. And we humbly ask God for that wisdom. So, what is wisdom? James tells us there to pray for it. But then in chapter 3, verse 17, he tells us what wisdom is. Proverbs is in the Old Testament. James is in the New Testament. And it is the New Testament's version of Proverbs. He says in 3.17, James 3.17, you can just listen. This is what wisdom is. The wisdom from above is first of all pure, peaceable, gentle, flexible, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So as you pray, don't just ask for wisdom. Ask for that wisdom, which is like fruit of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are all expressions of love. It's not an exhaustive list in Galatians 5. Neither are the gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians and Romans exhaustive. Here is an example of things to pray for wisdom. Don't just ask for wisdom. Meditate and pray for these things. Now, Proverbs in general, that category, that idea of a proverb is normally stated with contrast. It's not just saying, do this, but it also then by contrast says, don't do this. Contrast is a foundation for learning. And this is what we see in Genesis 1, the contrast between darkness and light. We see it in Romans 9 through 12, 11, uh, where it talks about the contrast of those going to heaven and hell for God's glory. Here is a proverb of contrast. This is what wisdom is, but what is wisdom not? The previous three verses tell us what wisdom is not, starting in James 3.14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be dysfunctionality in every vile practice. So if you want a definition of what is wisdom, we get it from James. You could also add to it more succinctly, wisdom is knowledge or discernment in a general sense. But it's much more than that. It's a working knowledge. It's skill through practice. Yes, you could include book smart with it, but it also includes somebody who would be street smart. Looking at the book of Proverbs as a whole, it's a book that's geared towards driving you to have a fear of the Lord. It's unique in that this aren't, these aren't just Proverbs. It's not like a Chinese proverb, whatever Chinese Proverbs are. I don't have one to give to you. Except, no, we won't go there. Let's focus on God's Word. These Proverbs are geared towards a fear of the Lord. How does Proverbs start out? In Proverbs 1.8, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And how does the book end? With describing a woman who fears the Lord. Yes, women, look after charm and beauty. But what is to be praised more than anything else is a woman who fears the Lord. That 
is what God is after. Beauty inside and out. Beauty on the inside and on the outside. As we are good stewards of what God has given us, body and soul. And if it's a fear of the Lord that we're after, then we're very quickly going to be reminded of the other stories in the New Testament, and sorry, in the Old Testament, that remind us of experiencing the fear of the Lord. If Proverbs is about driving us towards a fear of the Lord. It's going to be consistent with the rest of the Old Testament. And where else do we find the fear of the Lord? Where is one of the first places and the highlighted places that we find the fear of the Lord, but in the giving of the law on Mount Sinai? And so connected with the fear of the Lord, right away is going to be obeying his law and the Ten Commandments. This is where Israel experienced their holy God, recognizing that they were not holy, and he was indeed very, very holy. In fact, last week we covered Psalm 18. I love learning new things about God's law and his word. And in Psalm 18, Rob pointed out that David experienced the fear of the Lord. Now, a lot of times when Rob preaches, he does such a great job of not using theological terms, but describing to you theology. But what David experienced in Psalm 18 was what's called a theophany. Kind of the same thing that Moses experienced with the burning bush. Now, we're not told what that experience that God coming down out of heaven experienced for David was. But in Psalm 18, David describes experiencing the fear of the Lord in a very powerful way. And no wonder he's somebody who had written so many psalms who has a heart after the Lord. And his son, Solomon, would have learned some of those things from his dad. We don't normally make that jump from Proverbs to the fear of the Lord or the Ten Commandments, but it's very, very clear here throughout the book, and you're going to see that today. And I want you to see that also. We're going to be in Proverbs 4, but I want us to look at Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. This is Proverbs' version of the Ten Commandments. It catches the heartbeat of God's passion for keeping His law. And how they're not just suggestions, but we are to pay very much attention to them. There's seven of them listed here. You can pick out the uh, connections with the Ten Commandments. Listen to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, as it's, this is their, its version of the Ten Commandments, summarizing it for us. It says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This should be a highlighted section in Proverbs along with other Proverbs that you know. This should cut us to the heart to see how God is passionate about hating sin. How there is grace, but we are not to take advantage of it. But not only do we take it seriously, but then we, we recognize that I am guilty. Because Jesus says that if you hated somebody, you are guilty of murder. 
If you've lusted, you're guilty of adultery. Maybe not in a court of law from the political state, but in God's eyes, the only court that ultimately matters. But Proverbs is equal in its authority as the Ten Commandments. It's equal in its authority, but we just don't often make that connection, do we? But it is very clear that it is what Proverbs has in mind. It is the Word of God. And it is here, ultimately, to impact our hearts. And then we go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. God's law, all of it, is after our hearts. Also unique to the book of Proverbs is its attachment to living an easier life. Sign me up for that, right? Because I don't do well at smiling when trials come my way. Now, we're not here preaching a prosperity gospel, but we are going to preach the book of Proverbs. Then when we wisely fear the Lord, then fearing the Lord allows you to live an easier life on earth. That's what Proverbs is telling you. That's a fact. So, for example, its frequent refrain is not to answer a fool according to his folly. It will go better for you if you don't get in an argument with a drunk person. Okay? For example, Proverbs 15.1 says, Soft words turn away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. It will go better for you if in the middle of an argument you don't raise the ante and raise the voice and instead you respond calmly under the control of the Spirit. It will be easier for you to deal with that conflict. Now again, we're not dealing with the prosperity gospel because in fact we are comforted by knowing that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes acknowledges seeing the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And it calls foul. That is not right. But in the end, death comes to us all. And with that, ultimate justice. And so, according to the BibleProject.com and their overview of Proverbs, the wisdom literature goes together. You don't just read Proverbs in isolation. You read it with Job and Ecclesiastes for the exceptions in life. Job is an exception in life. Nonetheless, there is a norm that happens with Job, <clears throat> and that is spiritual warfare. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers in this world. Ecclesiastes telling us how to deal with change in life. We also need to keep in mind that sometimes when Proverbs doesn't seem to apply to you personally, it's applying to you in the context of a group. And so, for years and years, we've repented from this as our church. We've repented as being a part of a nation that kills, has killed unborn children. But now we praise the Lord, as Keith said, that Roe versus Wade was overturned on Friday, and now it's in the state's power to decide what to do. I'm not optimistically hopeful. Okay, We still live in an evil world, but it's a step in the right direction for a while. And we praise the Lord for that. And so there are 
Proverbs will also apply to a covenant community. And it won't apply to you in an individual sense sometimes. So, for example, if there's a Ukrainian POW held by the Russians, a soft word isn't going to turn away any wrath. And we pray for those Ukrainian men and women. So I want to repeat that Proverbs is geared towards a fear of the I am. And so what that means is that God is in charge, but you have a role to play. And Proverbs helps us understand specifically what that looks like. With that in mind, let's look at Proverbs chapter 4. Recognizing that this particular chapter is broken up by the ESV into three different sections. And the first section I've entitled, Seek God's Wisdom. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 before we get to the next two sections. Proverbs 4, 1 through 9, it says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words and keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. What is the first word in this proverb is here. Will we sit still long enough to submit to God's word? Or as Keith said, be busy with other things. We live in a Martha world where we need to act like Mary and sit at Jesus' feet. Too often our, our ambitions are too high to do too much. Guilty as charged. Stop and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What did Jesus say in Matthew 13 when he began the parable of the sower? He said, hear the parable of the sower. In the seven letters to the seven churches, over and over again, it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But there's so much more than just a word study going on here. You're going to know this Hebrew word, hear. Can anybody tell me what this word is in Hebrew, hear? It's familiar. It's the Shema. Hear. Listen. And so when you see this word, Shema, one of the two Hebrew words I think that everybody should know, this is one of them. Shema. Listen. And what is that pointing back to? The time when Israel was given the law for the third time, if you will, in Deuteronomy 6. You're familiar with it. Let me read just a few verses to you. Hear, O Israel, hear. That word Shema. Central theme for the Jewish people. Carried on into the New Covenant. Hear, O Israel. Hear, God's people. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We worship a triune God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Which Jesus said is the greatest commandment. Listen to that above all else. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Then he goes on to talking about teaching them 
to your children. So again, if Proverbs is geared towards a fear of the Lord, it's making a direct connection right back to Deuteronomy 6. And what's in Deuteronomy 5? Ten Commandments. And then it says we are to teach them to our children. And that's what's going on in Proverbs 4, 1 through 3. He says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. And verse 3 says, When I was a son with my father. So you've got three generations here. And it is a beautiful thing to have grandfathers teaching grandchildren. It's a beautiful thing to have multiple generations here at New Covenant teaching in Sunday school, teaching in VBS whether you're younger or older. But not only does this word here look back to Deuteronomy 6, if the New Testament version of Proverbs is James, what does James say about hearing? He's going to add to it. Don't just be a hearer. That's the easy part. That's the beginning part. You should also, of course, be a doer of God's word. Take the initiative die to yourself. To listen to a father's instruction, his good precepts, and do not forsake his teaching. There are two parallel words that you see in the first nine chapters of Proverbs in particular, where there are ten um, topics, ten lessons given in the first nine chapters. And you see these two words put together, instruction or precepts and teaching. Look back at Proverbs 3.1 and you say, it says, My son, do not forsake, forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. The beginning of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And one of those words is Torah. The centrality of teaching God's commandments, ultimately represented by God's law, the Ten Commandments, summarized in Proverbs 6 that we had read, six and seven things the Lord detests. The idea here is that there should also, along with teaching the Torah, the instruction there should be organized time in our homes of gathered around God's Word. If there are children in the home, there should be a time of, of organized worship. Each family has their own personality for what this looks like and different seasons of life for what that looks like. But there should be a time, whether it's singing or reading the scripture. And when that doesn't happen, because all of our families have dysfunction in them, or you're single, or you're a widow, you look all the more forward to this weekly worship where there is fellowship, where there is teaching, and we are desperate for it. In verse 4, it emphasizes the heart. Let your heart hold fast to my words. What is it that you want? What are your desires? What is your greatest longing? which is gauged by what we spend our money on, what we spend our time doing, and what our default thinking is. I want to jump forward to verse 23, because it's mentioning the heart. And it says, To keep your heart with all vigilance, <clears throat> for from it flow the springs of life. 
You know, in John chapter 7, right before John chapter 8, where Jesus just gives this beautiful speech to the religious leaders. In John 7, Jesus stands up on the last and greatest day of the feast, exclaims in a loud voice, Whoever thirsts, let him come to me. And out of his heart will flow springs of living water. If you heard Anya Hannum's testimony during Sunday school about a month ago, she said she was in a Russian gulag camp around the age of 20. And some people drove up in this big truck and, and they're handing out Bibles. And they tell her, whoever drinks from this will never thirst again. She's like, all right, I'll take this as an antique. Sounds good. Or a special, special good luck charm. The next thing she knows, though, she's employed in handing these Bibles out throughout the whole market, telling people, here's a Bible. You should take it. If you drink from it, you will never thirst again. Praise the Lord for all of our testimonies. Because every single one of us has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We have found the one in whom is the hope of Israel and in whom we will thirst no more. What do you desire? Guard your heart. Let our thoughts always be on his words so that we can do his commandments. Verse 5 encourages us to get that wisdom, get insight. Don't forget, don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. This especially has in mind Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, who says that he will open his mouth in parables, speaking truth. Of course, it would include all of God's word. But will you submit to those who are teaching you out of their mouths, delivering God's word, not revealing it, but teachers that you have, preachers that you submit yourself to, particularly at New Covenant, will you not turn away from the words that are coming out as if they're from God being delivered? Do not turn when you see the word turn in the Old Testament, it has in mind repentance. That's the Old Testament word for repentance. Here it's saying, don't turn away from God and go back to your old way. When you originally turned from your sin and your own selfishness and the ways of this world, and you turned towards God, will you submit continually, willfully to the words that come from God? here in these 66 books of the Bible. And I want you to hear this phrase, that Jesus is our master teacher, that the Holy Spirit is our primary teacher, but that application is aided by other believers and teachers. Jesus is our master teacher. The Holy Spirit is your primary teacher who reveals to you the words of Jesus and helps you understand them. But application is very much aided by others and by teachers. When you're scared to make a decision, yes, you read God's Word, then you go and pray with somebody and you talk to them. When you need encouragement, or even when you open yourself up to correction, 
and say, hey, what am I doing wrong? So I encourage us to always be faithful to submitting ourselves to God's word. Verse 6 says, do not forsake her, that is wisdom. She will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. Today's message is not just entitled The Wisdom of God, but to love the wisdom of God. Because our desire is to finish the race that we began. I long that those who I am running the race with will finish that race. But we've got to love the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the world. We need God's wisdom to keep us walking on that narrow path. And that's so important for living and, and heeding to the rest of God's commandments. If we don't love His commandments and don't see them as good for us, good luck trying to keep them if you don't believe in them. It requires wisdom and discernment in our interactions in this world and with technology and with what we eat, what we watch, who our friends are. It requires wisdom. We must love the wisdom of God, not just doing it because we have to, but because we want to. Listen to Rob Dreher. <clears throat> He's just a Christian thinker. It's not scripture, but he says, if we fail to push back against the internet as hard as it pushes against us, we cannot help but lose our footing. Replace the word internet with smartphone or your interaction in the world. We have to push back against it. Jerry Bridges says we can't just go along with the world. And why do we push back? We do see those things as good, as tools, as things that we use in this world. But you've got to push back against it. You've got to ask yourself, what is wise? Because our greatest desire is to see the face of God to live every moment before God's face. This is having a fear of the Lord. And in the process, becoming Christ-like. And so you must love wisdom. And me telling you that's not going to help, you're going to have to pray for it. Pray for wisdom and pray that God would help you to love wisdom. Verse 7 says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. I prefer the NIV version, which says, though it costs all you have, get wisdom. That is not a verse on financial stewardship. It's a verse on getting wisdom. It's not a verse that says, don't spend money. It says, spend it. Do whatever it takes, whether that also includes your time. If you see somebody that you need to be around. Ask them to mentor you. Follow them. Do whatever it takes to get that wisdom. I frequently meet with students in the mornings throughout my life and disciple them and you know, engage them, see how interested they are. If you're willing to meet at 6 o'clock in the morning, then let's go. If not, then okay, <laughs> no problem. We'll do it another time. I told that to one student about 10 years ago. He was 23 years old. And his excuse was, man, I drive a motorcycle, and it just takes so long to get all that giddy up on. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a motorcycle driver. I mean, you've got to put all that stuff on, your helmet and your gear, and it just takes time. I was like, oh, that's fine. I mean, it's your life, whatever. That's fine. If you don't want to, that's fine. A week later, 
That boy sold his motorcycle and bought a car so he could get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and be there on time. I was like, all right, let's meet. And he's pursuing the Lord, happy to meet with someone like that. There was one lady that I wanted to sit at her feet. Her name is Dorothy Jane Mainhood. It's a beautiful name. She was a missionary to Thailand for 40 years. I went to Thailand for um, a summer and a Christmas vacation back in about 1998, uh, as well as the year 2000, which was unforgettable because the new millennials coming in. And you know what we did? We slept through the new year. <laughs> Because it was like the Asian New Year. They don't, have, they don't celebrate it like we do. It was the craziest thing ever. Well, this woman served in Thailand for 40 years. And I found out in about the year 2000 that she was um, retired and living in Birmingham, Alabama. I was going to Berry College in Rome, and I was like, I mean, let's go. Let me get a group of students, get about seven or eight students that I was leading, and, and co-leading, and, and we went and sat at her feet for like two or three hours, and she ordered pizza. I didn't think she could order pizza. Like, she was 70, and I know that's not old, but to a 20-year-old, I was thinking, you know how to order pizza, right? I'll do it for you, you know? I mean, young people are just crazy, right? I'm still young, right? Anyway, she was a missionary in Thailand for 40 years. And she was retired, and I was like, let's go sit at her feet. And I'll never forget the things that, that she had taught us. Here she is in uh, Thailand, ministering to a young Thai woman. And Dorothy Mainhood was single her whole life. And I remember her saying that um, at some point, maybe around the age of 50 or 60, she finally surrendered to the fact that, you know, I might not ever get married. She had continued to trust the Lord for her life. Now, one of the reasons I really wanted to listen to her and sit at her feet for just two hours was because she's also somebody who's contemporary with Jim Elliott. She went, she's a graduate of Wheaton College. The year Jim Elliott graduated, 1949, is about the year that she started Wheaton. About the year Jim Elliott was killed, 1955, in the Amazon jungle, was the year she's graduating. And she also tells us a story that's recorded in interviews uh, on Wheaton, in, in Wheaton's library, and we got to hear it firsthand. How she's walking around at Wheaton and, and Illinois, and she's taking the proverbial shortcut through the woods. Not a safe thing to do, but she did it anyway. And nothing happened. It was fine. Nonetheless, what ends up happening is there was some, a cr some crime going on, and through the all the circumstances, she gets ended up calling in to the police station to look at a lineup of guys who she'd seen in the area or something. She identifies one of the men, and, and he did some bad crimes. I don't particularly remember what they were. And she ends up finding out from that man, why didn't you attack me? And, her, and the man's answer was, well, there was this big guy walking with you. Why would I ever attack you? And she's like, man, I was walking by myself. And that's a story that she believed. She said there was certainly an angel walking with me, right? Now, she could be wrong, but, I mean, it's not Scripture. I get that. That woman was following the Lord with all of her heart. And whatever it takes, sit at the feet of somebody who can disciple you. 
and whom you can fellowship with. Whatever it costs, get that wisdom. Prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you. And it goes on to say that you will get a beautiful crown. Again, we're not talking about a prosperity gospel. But there are five crowns listed in the New Testament. Not something I want to get into today. One of them is listed in the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. It's the crown of life given to those who are faithful to the end. This is the ultimate crown. It's a crown of glory, but what do we do with that crown? We lay it at Jesus' feet and we pass that glory on to Him. It's for my good on this earth, and I hope it's easier living than difficult living, but it's for His glory. We come to the next section of Proverbs, and it challenges us to be confident in God's wisdom. Verses 10 through 19 say, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, and do not go on it. Turn away from it, and pass it. For they cannot sleep until they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep until they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't even know what they're stumbling over. And that first word there again is here. To listen to God's law. And to accept His words. But we need to repent of the times when we don't accept God's words. Maybe because we're not even being mindful of them. It's not an outright rejection of them. It's just an ignoring of God's word. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is before King Agrippa. He's relating to him his Damascus Road experience, which is recorded in Acts chapter 9. And there Paul tells us that Jesus told him, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Do not kick against the goad. Do not kick against the cattle prod. Do not kick against God's will for your life. Do not kick against God's word. That phrase should just cut us to the heart. If I can, I'd like to read to you one of Johnny Cash's last songs that he had written, which is much scripture from the book of Revelation and a couple other scriptures. And songs have a way of sticking with us. And when they're scripture, they convict us as we've hidden God's word in our heart. The song is called When the Man Comes Around, talking about judgment and Christ, reminding us that we should take God's word seriously and accept his words. It says, And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. 
There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everyone won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm will stand up at the tear in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, 100 million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying, some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. To Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom. Then the father hen will call his chicks home. The wise man will bow down before the throne, and at his feet they will cast their golden crowns when the man comes around. Whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down when the man comes around. May we always accept God's words, and may we dwell on them regularly, that it might go well with us, that years of life may be added to us, that association of long life with the fifth commandment. Verse 12 says, When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and, in, and if you run, you will not stumble. We all know Isaiah 40. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. These words that we are given in verse 13 say they are your life. Going back to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 30, where Moses says, these words that I give you today are life and death. They are not just to be taken casually. Do not enter the path of the wicked, verse 14, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. As we're told in Psalm 1, not to walk with the wicked. Don't stand with them. Don't sit with them. For Eve, it started with a look. A lustful look towards the world. Verses 16 and 17 describes the persistent wickedness of the evil. They don't even know what they stumble over, verse 19 says. But verse 18 is a beautiful verse. <clears throat> it tells us the path of the righteous is like the first light of dawn shining ever brighter until the full light of day. Hold on to that promise. Because Ecclesiastes does say that the days of darkness will be many. So look to your Creator. Look with hope on our salvation. The last nine ver few verses... Tell us to watch how we live in verses 20 to 27. It says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all your flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward.
forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Be attentive to his words. Be careful how you live. Watch your path. In the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 15 to 16 says to be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We should incline our ear to his sayings, to not let them escape from us. They are our life. We must guard our heart, which will affect our speech. Moving down to verse 25, It's some very practical advice. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze straight before you, knowing that the Lord directs your steps, knowing that His Word is a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet. In the New Testament it says, Make it your ambition to live a quiet life and mind your own business and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Don't wait for someone to come tell you to stay out of their business. Mind your own business. Don't be overly zealous for other people. What did Jesus say? Get the log out of your own eye before you get the speck out of somebody else's. But too often, we're worried about what's north of us, what's east of us, what's west of us, and what's south of us. That's the news. Some of us can get so caught up in what's going on so far away that we're not worried about the, the concerns in our own house, in our own family, in our own church. I once had a conversation with somebody where they said they didn't care about someone. <clears throat> I thought, that sure is hard-hearted. And so we had talked about it. We came up with this idea that caring is kind of like concentric circles. I'm not trying to hypnotize you. <clears throat> but we do care especially about the things that are at the core of where we are we care especially about our family and me getting food before somebody else getting food I can't feed you if I'm not feeding myself right but what about that person in India who has a flat tire where does that fit we'll often say well I don't care well it's just at the outer circle of caring. I mean, there's 5,000 people in the world who have flat tires. I'm not God, right? I can't fix them all. But we need to be especially concerned with what's in our own circles. But let's make sure we're thinking like Great Commission Christians. And the Great Commission kind of just breaks this up. And it takes an arrow from the heart of it and moves it to the very edge so that you are concerned about that guy in India who's got a flat tire if he doesn't have access to the gospel. If he doesn't have access to a, a Christian church where Kenna is in Honduras right now sharing the gospel. Not worried about the things that are going on in her own family. She's worried about things where people don't have access to a loving church body where the gospel is preached and they will know you are my disciples by your love and so yes let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze straight before you be concerned with the things that are going on in your own world but there's a place for caring for others and especially for New Testament New Covenant Christians
So we are called to love the wisdom of God, to ponder how we walk, to not swerve to the right or the left as God keeps us on that narrow path. And Proverbs 4 has set us up for Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. If you do not love the wisdom of God and hate the ways of this world, you will have a very hard time maintaining sexual purity and pouring yourself out instead into your husband or your wife. Because Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 don't just stand on their own. Lots of warnings there. But it starts by loving God's wisdom. And if you don't believe God's commandments are good for you, if you don't see how much God hates sin, then, then trying to obey something you don't believe in, it's just not going to work. You've got to believe in loving God's wisdom. And that's going to especially happen through prayer. By getting that wisdom, by having that desire, and praying. So I want to conclude today by praying Psalm 119, 65 through 72. I'm just going to pray that as, as Keith has already started us on. So let's conclude today with some prayer. Lord, we trust in your faithfulness. We know that you are God and that you have dealt with us according to your word. Lord, we ask you to teach us good judgment and to give us your knowledge that we would hide your word in our hearts. Lord, we do believe in your commandments and that you are good and that your commandments are good. Help us to believe and help us in our disbelief. Lord, I pray that you would help us in affliction, knowing that crisis brings pain, and that that also brings sanctification. Lord, it is only by faith that we could ever count our trials as joy. It is only by faith in you. So I thank you for the journeys of sanctification that you have given us. Yet, Lord, we do long to avoid those pitfalls. And I pray for strength to endure any trial that we go through. That we would recognize spiritual warfare that we would walk away from evil. I pray you would help us to keep your word. I pray you would protect us from the evil one and from those who would want to do us harm. I pray that we would keep your precepts with our whole heart, that we would indeed be blameless, innocent of great sin. Help us to delight in your law, to recognize that you are in charge, to recognize that we also have a role to play in this world. Lord, may we seek after your wisdom more than gold and silver, more than sleep, more than rest and relaxation. I pray you would help us individually as well as as a church body to follow you with our whole heart. In your name we pray. Amen.